You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mrs. B's clearance and outlet is all new, combining legendary value with a fresh attitude. Shop one-of-a-kind finds in today's must-have trends. Explore wall-to-wall deals, furniture, flooring, mattresses, home accents, grills, patio sets, and more. Discover great new home decor, pillows, greenery, and more. There's something perfect for your style and budget. There's new inventory every day at up to 80% off suggested retail. Discover the style and savings of the new Mrs. B's clearance and outlet. Welcome into this new slash old thing <laughs> called Rob and Dave, but we're now calling the long con here on the Blue Room. I am Rob Vera, joined by Dave Downey. And, and Dave, I say old and new just because we've, we've done this before, but we didn't have a name for it. And I just sort of threw this out there and I figured at the point at which we have, uh, you know, 20 different podcasts on the Blue Room Network, I feel like it's okay to get weird with some of these titles. <laughs> well, absolutely. And, and the word con as well had several different meanings. So um, I'm, I'm pretty sure at some stage throughout our monthly talks, we will have to con some people into believing things that we're saying. Uh, and, and that, well, thankfully, doesn't include today's show, Rob, does it by any means? Because uh, no, no. I think every single Evertonian, so a man, woman, and child, should be absolutely elated right now uh, with the start you, of the season. You mean you mean the top of the table blues? Is Still that who you're referring table, to? Still top of the table, Rob, yeah. I mean, I, just, just to explain to everybody, we were actually due to record this about an hour earlier than we actually are, but uh, I'm stuck in the traffic. And um, I was listening intently to Liverpool's game at Chelsea just to make sure they didn't score a third goal, which would have taken us off the top of the table uh, <laughs> on goal <laughs> on goals scored. Uh, so, yeah, it was nice. And they had a really easy chance at the end of the game as well. So I, I was waiting for that, Rob. I felt like there was an inevitability. And um, to go off on a little bit of a tangent to start us off, I think I've felt that all weekend um, that it feels as if and we often talk about supernatural phenomena, don't we, Rob, about how... Oh, of course. It, we're, it we're very our, superstitious people, Dave. Yeah, okay. <laughs> in terms of how it controls our Everton lives. Sure. But um, this weekend, I, I found various different things happen. And, and uh, I've seen various different things that are so 
normal. It's uh, it's quite unnerving. So, for yeah. instance, the, 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 our game, obviously we'll get into detail with that in a second, but when West Brom took the lead, um, when we all knew that Everton had the opportunity to go top of the league, all of those different things that I think last season all came crashing down. Everyone remembers the Aston Villa on a Friday night shout, don't they, when uh, we could have gone top then as oh, well. Yeah. Uh, and, and that come tumbling down like a ton of bricks on us um, for, the, for the next few months until Marco Silva's ultimate demise as manager. But everything this weekend's felt to me like, you know, this feels like how it should. This feels normal. This feels like how a, a good football team uh, should be operating and this is how we live within this world. And I've felt myself really endeared to that over the past couple of days. I've felt really good about it. Um, not just the result, not just the, the phenomenal player that we have that uh, everybody's making all sorts of paraphernalia on uh, on the internet. But, oh, I've seen I've seen your Instagram account, Dave. Yeah, it's, well, that's it. And, and, and the thing is, look, it, it's very much tongue-in-cheek, but I think we're entitled to feel on cloud nine, Rob. I think we're entitled yes. to to have our, have our little day. Little day in the sun. And do you know what? Many people might be sitting listening to this thinking that's very, very small time. We've done nothing yet and things like that. But it's the signs that this can get better. It's the signs that for once in our lives, this is not a false dawn. This is sustainable. These guys haven't hit top level yet. I don't know if you've seen the, the one I put on uh, on the Blue Room Twitter uh, this morning, Rob, but it had the stats from Richarlison, Calvert-Lewin and James Rodriguez yesterday from the West Brom game. And it had a number of sprints. I think like Calvert-Lewin was like oh, yeah. 20 odds and Richarlison 30-something, James, zero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because the, the way they define in, sprints, yeah, yeah. We're, we're living in his world, Rob. We are living mm-hmm. in that man's world. And uh, he, he's been a breath of fresh air. But there, there's, there's so many, I think, and, and there's so many positives that we have to talk about as well. Yeah. Okay. To that notion, and look, uh, I think after the win away at Spurs, uh, Matt Jones was on one of the podcasts with you, Dave, and I think uh, I think he said something akin to, you know what, let's just go ahead and get carried away. Why not? You know, look, guys, we we are the headquarters of misery. Okay. So why don't we just so. Allow yourselves this joy, okay? We are, it's two weeks in. I'm not, you know, I know that people get obsessed about top of the table and it's, 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 it's silly. I think it's silly at Christmas, but it's, 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 it's certainly, you know, quadruple silly, uh, two weeks in. But who cares, guys? It, 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 it's, it's been fun so far. And, and it's not just the winning either, Dave. I think that's one of the things that I wanted to, to talk about, like I, I th- the first thing I said yesterday after the game uh, on Twitter was that this certainly feels different, doesn't it? Because you know the thing about the the thing about uh, taught you know you know Spurs nil Everton won in week in, in week one was that we should have won by more. We played so well, and it, there are times when you just edge a one-nil victory and you get lucky. There was nothing lucky about that performance, and and then to come back arguably the next week and really have a kind of lackluster to shaky first, you know, 30, 30 to forty-five minutes or so. I, I mean. I, I, we've we've seen this. How many times have we seen uh, you know that movie before? Uh, and 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 what what was amazing was not that we 
once we once we we got the James Rodriguez goal, we go up two one. But then they equalize right, you know, at the start of the second half. Um, now, granted, this is after they've gone down to ten minutes. How many times have? The other team, we've gotten somehow lucky with a decision. They've gone down to 10 men, and we haven't been able to capitalize. Not only did we capitalize, Dave, we absolutely punished that team. And you know why we punished that team? Not because of a few lucky bounces. Not because, you know, just some random hope that a penalty would go our way kind of thing would happen. We battered West Brom because we were that much better. Mm -hmm. And I think that what is so refreshing about what we're seeing is that the plan, I've been arguing since before the season that I don't know how any of this is going to go, but I think this plan is sound in that you have really good skill position players in the attacking areas. You were missing midfielder, you know, central midfielders to tie it together and also obviously, you know, you know, to, to help the defense out. But now you have this situation where through two games, uh, I don't even know the number, Dave, but how often have we been kind of just hoping we could eke out chances in a game? Um, how often have we thought, man, that two nil victory was really good, and I think we created five or six chances. I feel like we, I feel like anytime Hamas Rodriguez is on the pitch for us, it just feels like it's going to come not only more naturally, but it 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 suddenly feels so easy that I'm not used to this feeling. I'm not used to the feeling. And again, it doesn't mean that we're always going to score five goals, but it means that with him on the pitch and us in relative health, that we're always going to be dangerous because the level of competency in that 11 has been brought up to such a level that that, that is, the, that is the, the next step. And again, we have other steps we have to take, but this is already through two games more excited than, than uh, excited about Everton than I have been, been in probably four or five years at, at least. I don't know about you. <laughs> I think I think that's absolutely right, and and I, I think why I think it's much more exciting than other times because if we think about Rob in in the in the, uh, the you know the chronological sense, we've had you know seldom had opportunity to feel this good about our club, and yes, there are caveats to it, and, and you know I, I I'm hesitant to talk about that because. You know, we should enjoy it. How many times do we get to enjoy our team? It's yes. not often, if right. we're honest with ourselves. Um, th- there's been plenty of times and in individual games and individual performances. Hey, Dave, yeah. let me say one thing real quickly, and I'll let you keep going about caveats. The the fitness caveat in terms of, of our best 11 staying fit, that's the caveat of all team sport. Yep. Yep. So let's just go ahead and put that to the side and say, of course – our best players need to remain healthy for us to be at our best. Let's let's just let that be a normal thing as opposed to it being a fatalistic thing and just kind of go from there. So go well, ahead. Yeah, I, I, and, and just on that point, Rob, you, you, you're spot on because I feel as if we're most side, well, every side, if their best players aren't available, it's a hell of a lot tougher. We all know that from, from Liverpool all the way down to whoever ends up getting relegated. If your best players aren't available, you know, you you find it more difficult to win games. I think that that's pretty obvious in all sports. But what I think the real positive I want to see next, and I know we'll get into what we're sort of projecting with this with this side later on in the show, um, is how it has this knock-on effect to people in and around the squad and, and that feel-good factor. And, and, and an example of that really was when I used to work quite closely with the club 
um, uh, under when David Moyes was there for most of his tenure. I used to go to Finch Farm and there'd be occasions and days when you'd feel like a real special environment. You could actually, you could almost touch it. It was almost a tangible thing. And it often happened when we come out of a, de- you know, a decent transfer deadline day. I remember the couple of times we signed Stephen Pienaar when we got Nikita Jelovic in. Um, days like that, you could, you, could, you could sense the anticipation. You could sense how well it felt. And invariably, Everton would go on a decent run of games or you know, they'd hammer a side or two. Yeah. But it, it never felt sustainable because it always felt like, well, this is sort of the peak and we know there's an inevitable trough. Now, with this and how we've started and the players we have, and like you've just said there, this sort of this potent chance-creating force that we've become, and the stat is 64 shots in three games so far. Um, apparently, it took us 10 games to do that last season. Yeah, and I know one of those is against, you know, is against uh, Salford, um, but still, that's well, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and well, even, even so, if you, if you take away half those, you know, that's that's still, still ridiculous. Yeah, you're still double figures comfortably in in two Premier League games against you know two sides. One's fighting for its life. Two 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 sides that you can contrast the way in which they play. Tottenham are going to try and score against us because we're the home side and the conventional top six team. And West Brom who are going to fight for the lives in, in the Premier League to stay in the division. Um, another point I just want to put a, a line in the, in the sample later on is I don't actually think we played that well at all against West Brom, but it, it was no. simply all about. The potency of these chances we're creating, and, and just, just just the sheer numbers, the numbers game wins eventually. I think because you create that many chances, it's almost impossible not to score. You have to have a ridiculously excellent goalkeeper between you and scoring a goal, or you're just awful at, at, at trying to put chances away. I think we have enough players in the side now who will get those chances to put them away. Um, yeah, and 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 that 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 for me is in, in a bit of a nutshell what I'm taking from this so far. Now. Again, it's it's difficult to say when does the bubble burst, but what, what I think the next step in all of this... It's so hard not to do it, isn't it? it it's, yeah, really, it's really hard because it's our, it's, it's, it's our natural home. We right. revert back to that. And, and what I want to try and do on today's show is uh, try and sort of look at a different pathway, much in the same way we've taken this season in how we play, in how Everton avoids doing that. Or when, when it happens, because it's inevitable, we're not going to go the season unbeaten, absolutely not. Sure. We're going to lose games. We're going to be disappointed by some performances. But the, the the key word, I think, for me, that we'll take from tonight's show is sustainability. And and that's that's something we've never had. We've had it in fits and starts. We have it in maybe five, I remember under Moyes, maybe 10-game bursts. But ultimately, we, we have to have an, an acceptance right now, I think. If we're just bringing our feet back to the ground for one second, the acceptance has to be that, yes, when these sort of dips in performances come, now it looks like to me we have enough players in this squad that can make up for that sort of plateau, if you like. So say Hamez maybe gets injured um, and already that looks to many people like it would be catastrophic. I'm sure when Kieran Gibbs was getting sent off uh, at Goodison at the weekend, many people will look at a Hamez riding on the floor. Thinking, oh, oh no. <laughs> How long is he out for? And then I was watching it with uh, Mike Diaz and Matt and Mark Mosey and we collectively let out this sigh of relief when we found out it was an elbow to the face. Yeah. Well, so, and then I immediately pivoted to not his beautiful face, anything <laughs> but that. Absolutely. But what, what I think that we're, just going back to my point of the sustainability thing that I'm sort of working on, is that we, 
now I think you you see even glimpses of even when Gilfie Sigurdsson gets onto the pitch with twenty minutes to go, uh, you see him fit into a model that the Carlo Ancelotti and the rest of these players we've signed have almost instantly created. Now that is to say that the levels that they've aspired to so far and the levels at which they've played at, which again isn't the finished article, have been so much better than last season already in the microcosm of three games. And Sigurdsson's had to come on and had no choice but to lift his level. And that is exactly what a top-level manager does in, right. in, in, in the game of football because we, we know Sigurdsson, it, preferably we'd sell him if we could. He wouldn't be there, it, but he will have to play. Uh, you know, When we brought the three guys in just before the season started, we realised that, well, Tom Davis is still going to have to play. Fabian Delph may still have to play. Several players, a Wobie who come on second half, have to play. Mm-hmm. It's now we'll see the test of the what, what sort of steel they do actually have because we can all write them off right now, but the, the, the fact of the matter is they have to play. Yeah. But many people might roll their eyes at that and they may think, oh, no, I don't want that happening, so we have to keep these guys bubble-wrapped and fit all the time. <laughs> yeah, And that's the point. I, you know, Benny was at, Many people were arguing that when I said we should have put out our best team against Salford. But from what we've seen so far in the glimpses of others that have come onto the pitch to enter this sort of mismatch of quality that we seem to now have in, atta- in the attacking third, these guys look like they want to be part of it. And, and that, that's a real key for me, Rob, because it's people would say about Liverpool last season, Liverpool won the Premier League at a canter. And many people would say, well, you know, yeah, great. Liverpool got the best 11 in the Premier League, but what happens when you get beyond that? Mm-hmm. But they had players, and we know it all too well, of course, in, in the likes of Origi and other squad players who they can put in who wouldn't improve the 11, but it certainly wouldn't get much worse. And I feel yeah. as if that's the, the, the evolution that we're at now because I was petrified when James went down. I was really <laughs> scared when Alan is in the 50-50 and he sort of limps away. Uh, but because he's a bit of a sick bastard, he just laughs at that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to assume that our Brazilian players are always going to look like they've just suffered a season-ending yeah. injury only to pick themselves up and walk up, walk away. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, one, one of the great myths of the, the, the sort of 13-14 season, which is our, our best in terms uh-huh. of points return in the Premier League, was that this, this again, this word sustainable, that this was sustainable. It wasn't. It was a false storm because many players, I think, hung on Roberto Martinez's every word and it was only when he was found out as being a little bit of a fraud in terms of what he was telling them that everybody fell away. But here, the foundations are laid. So if you look at Richarlison as a case in point, who I'm sure would be sitting at home right now scowling every person in his home because he hasn't scored yet. Oh, I don't even know how he has not scored. It's just it's the, insane. <laughs> the amazing thing from that, Rob, is we still have that to come. And now oh, we're looking yeah. all of a sudden looking at a side that if Hamez doesn't get you, uh, you know, Calvert Lewin will. Uh, if the ball breaks out wide, Luca Dean's still able Luca Dean's been brilliant. No one's even spoken uh, about him. Yeah. No, and we we're will. all the, all the way now we're looking through every single person in that team almost. We're looking at and thinking, This this guy's putting like eight, nine out of ten a year, and we're not even whispering about him. I've barely heard anybody praise the manager yet. Yeah, <laughs> and it's yeah. because we've got so many other good things going on. So that is the the basis of forming a squad that is long lasting, and we're able to continue picking up results, performances, and points. And somebody asked me at the weekend if I was to offer you sixth place right now, would you take it? And I said <laughs> absolutely not. And that's not just blind faith, and that's just not going off what we've seen so far. 
that's going off what we know the potential of this squad is now. Mm-hmm. If we can just... The, 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 the fine margins that will define our season, I'm almost certain, will come to, firstly, how many games the three new guys play, particularly right. Hamez in an attacking sense, and also how the guys do who come in to replace them if they have to. And if we can just get that 10% kick out of Sigurdsson, out of Moyes Keane, out of Delph, even if he has to come in, if we're able to do that, Rob, that's the difference between me settling for something like sixth place and thinking, do you know what? Really go and have a go at the top four. Yeah. Well, and it's there's there's so much there's so much there, and I I think that we finally at least can look at this. I, I talk about the eyeball test a lot, but um, you can look at this and see a path forward to that sort of ambition if you will I think I think what this team what this this collection of players um, that we're see that we've seen just in really just two ma- two two matches so far for the most part but, but, but what we've seen so far um, really re- there was something amazing that has happened in just watching these two games with them and that has been how it's revealed to me how much we were living on such fine, yeah. narrow margins yeah. over the last so right. little bit. Like you, you mentioned, all, we, we talked about all the shots on goal, the chance creation. Well, one of the things that we've criticized Everton for, and I think rightly so, as a squad, as a collective uh, hive mind, if you will, a personality grouping, whatever you want to say, you know, is that they have lacked resilience. They get a goal down, or anything goes wrong, and they have ne- they've just not been able to find a way. Well, part of that is is certainly psychological. Absolutely. Um, look, we have seen more freakish VAR and refereeing decisions, and freak injuries, and balls that hit two posts, and you know, like we've seen it all. And the Everton curse is something that I'm. You know, I'm fully, uh, I'm fully have you know still working to copyright for t-shirts. Yeah, yeah, but but I think part of what allows you know it's funny when really good teams get praised for being resilient. Um, oftentimes, that's that is sometimes divorced from the idea that it's easier to be resilient when you can create 15 to 20 chances a game. It's easier yeah. to be resilient when you have like world class players. When you are a middle table level of talent, or as it was specifically in our case, and I know I'm I'm, I'm well versed on the amount of money we've spent. I swear to God, if I hear half a billion dollars, uh, half a billion pounds, one more time in a broadcast. But I think the difference is is that we were all aware, especially last season that without a midfield, we were just trying to gut our way through to getting just as many points as we needed. And we were upset about the the lack of, you know, the, the lack of, of production or inability. I mean, Mike, you know, we scored five goals the other day, Dave. I don't think we, we didn't score more than three last season in a game, I don't believe. And so, uh, you know, those are the things that it's amazing how when you suddenly have more talent and better players, not to go all deep stats on you guys, but when, but great players equal great results. That's, it's amazing how that works, but it's, it's simple logic. (laughs) Yeah. And so I think, but one of the things that's been nice and what the effect that that has, and this is something that I, 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 it really hit me hard the other day, 
How much on this podcast, Dave, have we been talking about individual player subplots, whether it's Adam Ola Lookman or or Moise Keen or or um, you know like name a player who we were hoping to you know like and again you know Pickford but a million of them I, I think we have always been living in this constant state of if only this player who has not fulfilled his potential would be good if they would just be good then this would all work. We have been relying for so long on needing everything to go right in order for us to be good that all it's taken is literally adding a three players in central midfield. Granted, James Rodriguez is a world-class player, and I'm not denying that that's a huge part of that. But what I'm saying, too, is that these guys haven't even played together yet, and they've already been able to be levels above what we've had for the last, what, half decade, you know, seven years or so. So my point is, is that I don't care right now so much about whether Gilfie Sigurdsson is going to turn into a great, you know, if he can find his goal scoring form again. I have patience for Moise Keane because right now we don't need him to score 15 goals in a season at the age of 20 in order for us to be successful. Um, I'm not, you know, I can be, I can even be more patient with someone like Alex Awobi because here's the thing. You can moan about, oh, we spent this money and I don't really rate Alex Awobi, but you know what? He's not hurting us right now. So, so my point is, is that those issues become secondary as opposed to primary. And our money wasting, if you will, is only an issue when we are relying on those players to come good. And we have had this attitude at Everton that we had to hit on every single player and they had to be perfect all the time. And if they weren't, then we were, even then, we just had to hope the refs were in our favor. Like suddenly when you have um, a greater margin for error, because you have chance creation, suddenly you're not down and out when you go down a goal or, or you, you, you give up an equalizing goal, uh, you know, at the beginning of the second half, you know, suddenly it's like, no, it's going to, it's okay. We can work with this and it won't work out every time for us, but all the discussions about the change in mentality, the change in this group being more resilient, um, you know, like those are the thing, those things are important. But they're much easier to transition when you suddenly have a, a I mean, let's let's be honest. It's you look at that starting 11 right now. You can nitpick here and there. But, you know, and, and every player is going to make individual mistake here or there. But the difference is, is that those little individual errors, I remember over the years, it was something Michael Keane would make one mistake and Vardy would score. And then that was it because we couldn't we couldn't come back from that. Or, you know, Yerry Mina, like yesterday, uh, you know, he doesn't see the, the player covering behind him. So he doesn't go attack the player. And that that would have in the past been cataclysmic for us. Oh, we, you know, it's all Yeri's fault and we've, we've, you know, everything's ruined now. But now the burden is not on one single player making zero mistakes in order for us to win. If you can create chances collectively and you can score more than, a, you know, more than a goal per game, you suddenly have the ability to aspire higher to the things that you were just talking about, Dave. No, that, that, that's all right. I mean, uh, Matt, Matt Jones has this... Uh, he has a lot of good sayings that I always end up referring to in uh, many Everton scenarios. And one is that we, we always feel like we're walking a tightrope. 
uh, in, in how games um, come at us and how the narrative develops that basically leaves us all hanging our heads in shame uh, in, in years gone by. But it almost to continue that sort of um, that that metaphor that he's talking about. It's almost as if we we've been able to put a huge safety net underneath that tightrope we seem to be walking, and that safety net is these other players that haven't even chipped in yet with what we expect them to do. So, you know, you, you talk. Let's take Sigurdsson as a case in point. Now, if he's going to be a squad player initially, and look, I mean, we must be optimistic if we're going to sit here and talk about him maybe breaking his way into the first team, Rob. Uh, but hey, that- Dave, I, I want to throw this out there because you've been in traffic. Uh, just to get this out of the way, uh, our thought our thoughts are with Gilfie Sigurdsson's family right now. I don't know if you saw the story. No, no. Uh, it just came out uh, about an hour ago that his brother-in-law accidentally killed himself with a shotgun. Oh. He was like 11 years old. So our thoughts are with him yeah. and, and his entire family right now. I, I'm only throwing that out, not because I thought you were going to go right after him, but I yeah. just wanted to get out there that we are yeah. not monsters. <laughs> Uh, Absolutely, and that yeah. we can separate the player from the the situation, and obviously we're, we're we're our hearts are with him right now. So please go ahead, Dave. Absolutely, because he's a he's a phenomenally nice guy, and um, you know it it, it, it it is true on a, on a personal level. I'm not just like many of us going on Tom Davis. He is a lovely, lovely kid. Um, yes, he and we're, is. we're only talking about these people in their capacity of what we actually pay to watch them do. Not in a personal uh, capacity, and you're absolutely right. But in terms of give up Gilfie, um, and I was actually talking about in, in terms of some positivity with it, is that if he's a, if he's able to, I'm not necessarily sure oust or sort of compete on a level with Alan Decore and, and, and James or whatever whatever role Carlo Ancelotti sees him playing now. I'm not sure that's the right way to say compete for those positions. But when his involvement in the team. Uh, becomes more and more because it will. He'll start games this season. Um, we're, we're then able to look at him in a completely different light because you've got these other guys who have already set a benchmark and a level. So this is what I'm talking about with Richarlison. He's missed those chances last season, and I think this refers to your point that you just made really well, Rob. Last season, if Richarlison missed those chances, like he did at Spurs, he missed at least five. Oh, yeah, yeah. And a lot of people were sitting there thinking. And I did myself, I was like, hang on, I can't decide if Richarlison's having a poor game or he's just missing chances and being absolutely phenomenal. Oh, listening, he was absolutely phenomenal and just exactly missing chances. <laughs> listening to, listening to uh, Matt, the statistician from Sky, on, on the Stats Pack show with, with, with Armat, uh, yeah. he said pretty, he broke records against Spurs in, in his recoveries, in, in his sort of his, his touches, in his possession, in his sort of sprints, all that sort of thing that we've known to come and love and perhaps even take for granted at times. How many times last season, Rob, would we be holding our head in our hands thinking, uh, if only Richarlison had scored that, we might have got a point from that game. We might have nicked a win. If he's going to yeah. miss those chances. Now, he did. He missed them. And I'm sure he's pretty pissed off with himself that he did. His one that was offside at the weekend, uh, he was absolutely fuming with that because it was such a good goal. But to, to refer that to the point you've just made, He's still going to come good. There's no way Richardson oh, yeah. doesn't score less than double figures this season. No, now, he's one of the best headers of the ball in the league. He's yeah. no, he's. I'm not worried about with Hamas Rodriguez out there. I'm not worried about Richardson exactly. scoring at all. And to that point, the two goal scorers we had last season that reached double figures. Would you have any concern if if you were to say to me Richardson only scores ten this season? That last year would be cataclysmic, and we're talking about. 
mm-hmm. possibly a relegation fight, maybe lower half Premier League finish. It was his goals that you know got us to the mighty 12th place last mm-hmm. year and Calvert-Lewin. But now we're in a position where if you told me Richardson scores less than he did last season, maybe 10, 11 goals, whatever it is that yeah. he gives us, you're nowhere near as concerned as you would have been last season because you know the rest of this side is going to chip in. You know that there are other players who are going to step up to the benchmark because they've got somebody like James in there who's able to supply. You look at the goals that Calvert-Lewin scored yesterday. Matt, obviously Matt was going cock-a-hoop about them after the game and saying he had to be... Is, is, Matt, is Matt a fan of Calvert-Lewin? Uh, not, I couldn't not, tell. I, th- I, think, I, I think he might need some gentle persuasion, Rob. <laughs> but you look at the goals he scored, we're all tappings. Yeah. They're the type of goals that... I, I don't know if you remember Ruud van Nistelrooy when he was at Man United in the, in the sort of mid-2000s. Oh, yeah. People always used to compare him with Thierry Henry and they'd say, well, yeah, there's no way Ruud van Nistelrooy can hold a candle to Thierry Henry given the, given the, the type of goals he scores. But van Nistelrooy actually had a better strike rate for many of those seasons. Give me that striker in, in ahead of an Henry. Obviously, you, you, you're not getting a layoff if you choose any of them. But my point is that you have a striker like Calvert-Lewin in there able to scramble goals and you know, sort of use every orifice of his body to get it over the line. <laughs> because you've got James Rodriguez laying it on a plate. The perfect Everton goal always used to be, and, and it, it was it was a cliche, we'd get it to one of our wingers in the olden days, cross, number nine, big guy, heads it home. That's a classic Everton goal. Sure. You, talk, you talk, that to me, talk to me about that right now. It's James Rodriguez picking it up midway inside the opposition half and threading a ball through that creates a chance, creates a goal-scoring opportunity. And that's exactly what we saw in Calvert-Lewin's, I think it was his second goal, where the ball comes over the top. Uh, Richarlison's there. tries. I'm, I'm pretty sure he tries to score himself. But nonetheless, it goes right into Calvert-Lewin's path and he taps it in one yard out. There's my classic Everton goal right now because yeah. we're not so reliant on using Calvert-Lewin as this sort of punch bag and somebody who's there to win flick-ons. You, you look at the evolution, Rob, of, of Calvert-Lewin, and I'm talking particularly in the last two seasons, it's a seismic shift in what he's been asked to do. And now we're looking at a player, I think, who is loving what he has to do, what his responsibility is in this side. I believe that used to be a burden for him because, he, he, I mean, look, he was flogged all over the place, wasn't he? He was played at right back. There's a great tweet. Someone said he's the first right back to score a hat-trick in Steve Watson, <laughs> who, who scored a hat-trick in, what was it, early 2000s? Yeah. Um, and so... In Calvert Lewin's role as as sort of a, I think a bit little bit of a case study in reference to everything else we have going on, he's able to do what he's had his heart set on since he joined this football club. You think about the pain, the suffering, all the nonsense that went around when Kuman was there. He's been hammered by a lot of our fans, and now you look at him. He must just you know the first thing he must do when he goes to training, how's Hammers feeling? How's Hammers feeling? Because he will put. At least twenty guilt edge opportunities on his foot or on his head throughout the rest of this season. And just to go full circle back to your initial point, back to me, Rob. These other guys will get their opportunity as well. And and this is a point because a lot of people said to me, "Oh, this 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 midfield just looks incredible. We're, we're easily going to push for top six, maybe even top four. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. But you can't guarantee me that each of those is going to play thirty games. And and this is this is the point that I'm trying to get to is that we have so many different facets in this side now, who will not let us down. I'm I'm confident in saying, and this might be the point where many people turn off. I'm not sure, but I'd be confident. <laughs> I'd be confident in saying 
You will get more assists from Gilfie Sigurdsson this season. You'll get more assists from Alex Awobi this season. Mm. Uh, Seamus Coleman too. The whole structure of this side, it's not just about the three signings in a literal form. It's not about three incredibly talented, in, in Hamas' case, world-class footballers. It's about everything else that goes around them as well. We know we'll get the performances. We know we'll get seven, eight, and nines out of ten every single week. I, I, I think there's th- that that's what life is now for Everton. That's the level that that midfield is probably at. But when it's not happening, I'm confident that the others and and the sort of the influence these three guys have already had will automatically lift their level. And that, again, it's that fine margin that you're talking about. I think that's the difference there. Is not is Hamez fit? It's who, if Hamez isn't fit, how do we get the same level of performance and the same level of uh, chance creation as we do now? Impossible, you might right. say, for one individual to do it. But I'm talking much more about the collective there. And that's that's the essence of what you see with top-class sides, is they have the standout performance, Barcelona, Messi, Juventus, Ronaldo. A lot of teams have that standout performer. But when they're not on... They like in, in Real's case, they used to have you know Benzema, Luka Modric, Tony Cruz, James himself, of course, Barcelona, Xavi, Iniesta over the years. The list goes on and on. When Messi isn't on, it'll be one of those guys. So, like I say, it's if he doesn't get you, we have a multitude of people who are you know perhaps not on an individual basis as good as what he's able to deliver, but collectively are able to provide not such a huge drop off. And that that's going to be key to me for what we do for the rest of this season. Yeah, that's that's interesting. That you know, it's it's about it's about kind of raising this collective level. And the question becomes, well, how is that done? Is it just the simple addition of the player? But you know, I think it's 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 something that in that kind of way that is greater than the sum of its parts yeah. in that. But that's what we've always been. There's, there's, Rob, in many ways, Everton yeah. shouldn't find that hard because we've always been that club. We've never been that club yeah. that relies on a star attraction. We've been that club that's been, well, we need Kale, Pienaar and Baines all to play well to win a game. Right. But I think the difference though now is that when you bring a transcendent player and let's, let's be clear here. Um, because I went, you know, I think that there were rightly some who were skeptical about, you know, it's that whole. Uh, I, I think they're great, but if they were com- if they're coming to play for my team, then how good can they actually be? You know, like there's some of that, and there's a lot of like, well, you know, why hasn't he played enough games? Is he fit? Is he um, is he too old? But he's he's only 29. The, the impact of James Rodriguez, A, being a gigantic superstar in world football, and make no mistake, that is what he is, but B, coming in and immediately delivering. You know, he has not had to go through this adjustment period, and therefore, he, is, he wows people you know, who are watching him on television, sure. But what does he do for those around him? What is the domino effect of his presence and suddenly feeling like this amazing player chose to come here. He believes we can do this. He's showing how great he is. I want to be better uh, in order to match this, you know, essentially what what has been, you know, a, a gauntlet that's been kind of thrown down in terms of. This is the standard now. We I didn't come here to finish at, you know, eighth or ninth or tenth or whatever. 
Granted, we might, but I, I think the, the idea here is that when you have people, you know, Dave, you made a point before that one single player can't completely transform a club. I, I mostly agree with that, but what I would say to you, I think you I know, I know what you it mean. Has I know be, what you mean. Yeah. It has to be a collect, but it, it has to be more than a player. And it's you can argue: is it these three players? Does Carlo Ancelotti look better because he brings great players into the mix and therefore improves? I mean, sure. I, I don't think that you have to be too obsessed about which is the greater factor. The bottom line is, is these players wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Carlo Ancelotti. And Carlo Ancelotti is a person who exudes success. He is a person who exudes no excuses. He is a person who exudes humanity. Um, and he's also someone who exudes positivity, frankly. Even even when he kind of gives an answer, to, you know, in that very Italian uh, eyebrow arch sort of way, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm. Yeah. You know there, there's, if you've read, you know, I've, I've, still, I've been reading kind of periodically, I've had trouble during COVID reading as much as I'd like, but I, as I read through parts of his uh, autobiography, I think one of them at least, um, I'm really struck by how he is just an incredibly positive person. Um, and when you think about how we have been conditioned to believe that the Jose Mourinho's of the world are successful because of how mean they are and or how, you know, just constantly negative they are as if that somehow browbeats people into success. It's not that it hasn't worked. I mean, he's clearly got a, you know, a trophy case full of trophies and I don't want to deny him that. But I think in 2020, uh, with the with the modern athlete of this generation, that Carlo Ancelotti's approach is actually more modern than the 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 kind of approach that would have been successful, you know, ten years ago. And I think part of that is by creating kind of creating an environment of self belief. And saying that it's going to be our own self-belief that is going to be the thing that enables us to slay demons. Because if we don't, if we go into every game constantly thinking about all the failures of the past, then we're already beaten. With Carlo Ancelotti, he is, he is, I mean, he even said, I remember him even saying how uh, at the, you know, before we even played our first game of the season, he said he thinks this is going to be a fantastic season. Like, We've, you know, we've been so used to the Cummins and the Moyes of the world just kind of really making sure that we all felt like we knew our place and felt like, you know, eh, just temper your enthusiasm a little bit. I like that Carlo is like, he's not afraid, he's not afraid of optimism. And therefore his players collectively, I think, can begin performing in a way that's, 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 that's more in line with that. Now, having said all of that, James Rodriguez is transcendent. And when I say that, I mean that he is, as good as advertised, and granted, I have said, and I still believe this, that if Hamas Rodriguez is 85, 80 to 85% of what he you know, has been at his peak, we are still significantly improved at a level that can take us far given the other additions, given the natural evolution of, you know, in development of players like Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison. And, you know, even seeing players who we'd stopped kind of believing in after a while, like, 
you know, Michael Keane was kind of a lost cause and for many of us, but, and, and granted, I, I think his physical limitations are very, very much there, but he is certainly a player that in a, in a certain setup uh, and, and, and with a certain run of success can be really good. And, and that's what you need. We don't need 11 superstars, but what we do need, and, and I said this to you, Dave, um, at, when we went into the summer, I said that what the, what the what Everton need are three to four difference makers more than they need seven, eight, nine total players. It, it was a, it was an issue of quality. Now, granted, when I was saying that, I think I was thinking at the time maybe one, if we're lucky, two midfielders because I thought we were going to get a center half, and of course now we need a we need a center half with the injury crisis. But but we have injected that quality. And and also that personality, I want to I want to throw that out there to you now on, on this, Dave. Um, we've talked so much about the need for this large personality transplant for not only this team and this squad, but this entire club. Suddenly, you have not just players who who are talented and can back it up, but you also have players in Hamas Rodriguez. And uh, Alan, and you know, d- look how happy Decore was that he was desperate to come to Everton for reasons that I don't fully understand, but good, <laughs> good, good on him. Um, he, you know, and and even you know, even um, you know, Luca Dean is is having fun. Um, you know, I, 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 he didn't have a, he obviously didn't have a great game on uh, Saturday, but when you win five, two, it doesn't matter as much. Yeah. I mean, a struggle a little bit, but my God, is there anyone who is a more positive teammate than, than him? Like you have more smiles and laughter and happiness. And I've been saying this for a while that those things seem like, Oh, well that's fun on YouTube, but who cares? No, that stuff matters because this club has been under a cloud of steely, steely frowny faces and just kind of abject misery for so, for so many years that you, you really needed players to come in and actually look like they were having fun and, actually having fun in order for it to become fun again. Am I am I completely off base there, Dave? There's a couple of things that you, you mentioned here, Rob, that I just want to pick up on. And, and one that struck me, I'm not sure whether you intended to drop this little pearl in there, but you you, you one of the lines you come out with then was uh, the fear to be optimistic uh, in, in reference to that has been our way uh, yeah. throughout throughout different managers. And, you know, maybe, maybe Martinez, you know, you can exclude him from that with, for that particular season. Um, because he did allow us to dream. I don't think we can take that away from Martinez. I think uh, he was perhaps even overly optimistic at the time. But when, when you talk about Ancelotti's talking about it and saying it, what he's got is a, a wealth of experience to back that up. He, and I agree with you. I think there's a, there's a nonchalance to him. Um, there's a, a calmness and serenity to his approach to, to everything. And I think many people, uh, certainly outside of, of our Everton bubble, would say that that is maybe him not being bothered or him not caring, which couldn't be further from the truth because it's blatantly obvious, I think, to all of us who study uh, the club and him at such length and it becomes our obsession, our passion and our life. Um, It's quite clear to see that people would be wrong if they were to suggest that about him. But the the fear of optimism, I I think that's an exceptional line because... It is something that we've, I think, ingrained ourselves with. You know, we we often talk about, um, you know, like I said to you, it's just <laughs> paranormal, <laughs> paranormal things happening at the football club, and all sorts of excuses because we've we're bored of trying to find 
an ability to put our finger on why things go wrong and, and why. Yeah, but also now nothing can hurt us, Dave. I mean, exactly. <laughs> everything has hurt us. So it, like, why not? Works. We've got immunity. It works both ways now, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but with, with in regards to, to the sort of, I think, our philosophy as football fans, for instance, many people were aghast at me this weekend for saying we'll batter West Brom, uh, and I was really optimistic. <laughs> Good friend from the BBC, Phil McNulty, he's actually taken me to task on that, and he was saying, Dave, 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 please don't do that, and uh, you know you should know better than that and things. And I think I actually broke into that, so I broke the glass ceiling in, in regards to that with Phil because obviously he's a very, very experienced, influential journalist, uh, and also has been there, seen it, and done it. Um, at both extremes with Everton, the, the relegation escapes and the success of the football club throughout his career. Um, but I, I just felt completely different about this. And you're absolutely right. I think that the, there is a caution and trepidation amongst Evertonians, given what's gone in the past, that we can't possibly enjoy ourselves or feel happy when we get off to this sort of start of the season. Now, yeah, of course, a lot of it is in jest. I'm not saying Everton are going to win the Premier League. I'm putting up screenshots of the league table and things like that because I'm having fun. Sport, football, Everton, dare I say it, is supposed to be fun. And this is what I'm the, the feeling I'm getting. You're absolutely right in terms of what certain people bring to certain situations, Rob, and, and how they make you feel. Um, we're a football club of great sentiments, much to our um, much to our cost in many years, I guess, that I would say. I mean, it's a criticism I've had for a long time. Uh, from the re-signing of Wayne Rooney to how people perceive Tom Davis, for instance. I, I think that, that that won't ever change until Everton is successful again and have done it in a different way. And that in itself is something that I think that I think comes to mind when, when I'm thinking this way, Rob, is that when we've gone through the past and, 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 and had the false stones, we've had the difficulties with the way things are going, uh, we've never fully allowed ourselves to enjoy it. Um, and, and I think in Ancelotti, we have somebody who I could never envisage him being the type of manager to say, and, and this maybe fits into what you were talking about with Jose Mourinho, I don't think he, he can manage a team based on fear uh, or any sort of intimidation. That is just right. not him. And it's not I, his personality. No, not at all. And, and whilst, look, all of us, me in particular, me more than anyone, maybe have been uber-critical of a lot of uh, our current squads who've let us down over the last few years... I don't think Ancelotti would ever approach uh, his job in that way. He'd never approach his his sort of his philosophy wouldn't be to be so critical of somebody. Now, many people laugh when he said, "Who's Luke Garbutt in the summer?" Um, you know, I'm pretty sure he'll have a certain way of working that every everybody doesn't necessarily like. But I think what he does, Rob, and what I've read and studied of the man myself is a respect. Regardless of whether he's playing you or not, regardless of whether he sees you as part of his plans or not, I think there's an ultimate respect there, which I think in turn gets a kick out of players that it might not necessarily do. Yeah. I'm almost certain he's had a conversation with, with Gilfie Sigurdsson uh, or with Tom Davis or Fabian Delph or Alex Awobi and said, look, I don't see you as my sort of long-term, in my long-term plans. I'd, I'd be astounded if he hasn't. Um, yet... The, the signs are that there's no let-up in these players being able to sort of cast themselves a different career at Everton. And by different, I mean, is you might well have said, look, Gilfie, we're not going to offer you a new contract. Or said, look, Gilfie, if somebody comes in, we're going to accept the offer because your wages are far too high. But he commands a professionalism, Rob. 
and and that's what I feel is a really unique skill, particularly when you're dealing with multi-millionaires who can effectively, if Gilby Sigerson doesn't want to play for Everton, he can go home and he'll still get his money. You know, that, that's yeah. And I think that's a mark of of respect in how somebody gets the best out of people. And there's a <clears throat> there's a rabbit hole you can go down and talking about philosophy in how <clears throat> football managers get the best out of the people that are around them, even though they might not necessarily like each other. I think professionalisms are not often used word in football anymore. Uh, that, that doesn't seem to matter to a lot of people. But Ancelotti, I get that it's a big deal and a big part of what he wants his team to be, a reflection of, of self-respect. And it, I can never imagine him talking down to anybody. I can never imagine, imagine him talking in terms of being really angry. Yes, I think he commands discipline, but he does it and forges those relationships in completely different ways. And for instance, Hammers again, as a, as a case in point, even though Ancelotti, there's quite clearly a fondness between them. We've seen it from the pictures. We've seen it from, him. He, he signed him three different occasions now at different clubs. But there still needs to be more than just Carlo Ancelotti that brings James Rodriguez to Everton. Mm. Uh, the, the, I don't believe it was such a case of him calling him up and saying, listen, do you want to get the band back together? We're doing a good thing at Everton. Do you want to come and join in the party? You think about Rodriguez and, and you think about his standing in world football. There are literally tens, maybe hundreds of other football clubs who look much more appealing to sign for than Everton. Uh, mm-hmm. there's, there's so many, I'm, I'm pretty sure you know, PSG had taken uh, sides that are already playing Champions League football. And whilst detractors would say, yes, Everton will be paying him a small fortune to come and play, the reason why, you have to ask and look in a little bit more detail at the reasons why he would ultimately come to our football club and the manager is a huge part of that and I can't believe we've had people from the wider footballing community question his credentials at why he bothered turning up at Everton. When you look at the the intangible stuff, the, tough, the stuff people don't like to talk about on you know popular football shows and things like that, people really need to have a closer look at that before they cast any judgment on him because, like you've said, you've covered all the bases and the point you put to me, Rob, in his personality is is the, the human side of things we never, ever associate with football because we think they're all robots and we think they're all, you know, go home at the end of the day and are able to go and check on a huge bank balance, a mansion and a few cars. And, you know, here's a shock for many people. They're actually human beings out there. And... Mm-hmm. I think ours have been horrendously mismanaged. Uh, so if the, if there's a way for Gilfie Sigerson back into Everton's first eleven and, and on a regular basis, if there's a way for Alex Awolby to turn into the player we thought we were getting when we spent thirty million pounds, make no mistake, this guy will show us that, and, and he will yeah. do it. And and that's what, in many ways, Rob, it's been an educational process because when he has picked them, when he repetitively picked Tom Davis, when he's made Tom Davis captain, when he's had Gilfie playing on the left hand side and made him captain as well. Many people are up in arms. What's he doing here? Why has this happened? Hmm. Do you not think internally there's a hell of a lot more nuance to that? There's a hell of a lot more uh, detail to why he's done that. And yes, okay, it might not work, but he's he's felt there's a reason why he hasn't been performing. And what you see on the pitch is a culmination of what he expects. And that's why he's not in the side now. And that's why Alta Wolby will struggle to get a start on the, on the right-hand side. It's all because the manager is somebody much more than somebody who picks the 11 that start the game. And and that, to me, is a much, uh, much more important thing, Rob, because we've spoken about 
in the past at length, the director of football model. What Carlo Ancelotti seems to be doing for me at our football club is setting up a lineage. It feels like, yes, he's not going to be. I, I don't. I don't believe he'll take us to the new stadium. Put it that way. I think he's. Uh, right. he, he's getting on in terms of age, um, and I, I, I'd, I'd still be quite surprised if he's the manager that takes us to Bramley more in what three years. Um, but what he's doing, uh, maybe even you know subconsciously, that many people wouldn't even look at this or, or discuss it as an idea. Is setting up a, a foundation at the football club to go in a di- completely different direction. And to this point, I said uh, to Matt at the weekend, in somewhat of a jovial and frivolous way, who do we go and get after Carlo Ancelotti? Can you tell me the name? Oh, yeah. Can you tell me any <laughs> manager who you go and get right now? And yeah, but the options certainly get seem would get better if you suddenly created a more attractive pro- exactly, you know, product. Yeah, exactly. Um, That's exactly right. And, and not only, not only again in a tangible sense, not only we well, you know, well, maybe we could go and look at you know, some of the game's top managers, Pochettino, for instance, if he was still available. Well, that that to me is because of him. It's not because we're able to throw a bucket load of money at him like we have been able to in the past. You're able to create a philosophy that this football club has longed for for decades, Rob, absolute decades. And you, you mentioned that word, the fear of optimism. Look at the club motto, everybody, you know, it's something everyone throws at the football club and they're not doing so well and things like that. I do it all the time. I'm like, is this the club motto? We're making a shame of it and everybody should hang their heads in shame. Here we have a manager, I think, that is embracing that, but also taking it in a different direction that conforms to modern day football. Now, when we've had uh, the sound bites in the past of a Martinez, remember the famous Bill Kenwright quote, I'll get you in the Champions League and all that sort of mm. thing. Complete yeah. platitudes and paying lip service to a fan base that, let's face it, would eat out the palm of, of, of people's hands if they told them that the, the right thing that they wanted to hear. Did we now have somebody who believes what they say. We have somebody who acts on intent of making this whole thing better. And I think it will go forever unappreciated until we see what happens after Carlo Ancelotti. Hopefully, after he's won a few trophies and we've had been oh, playing God. in the bed, and we're playing in the, in the new camp every season. Yeah, but let's keep our focus on. Yeah. I mean, it's. I but you understand what I mean in terms of. No, 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 I do. I just, yeah. Are we, yeah. I, you look at a bookmakers, the... Rob. You, you look at a bookmakers after Marco Silva sacked. Where's Carlo Ancelotti? Oh, absolutely nowhere. Yeah. So, David Moyes was the the favorite. Mark Hughes, these names that I'll never forget. He's he, changing the expectations. Exactly, here. exactly. And it, it might come all crashing down, but they've got the, the club and the people who work with him. And you see it in the players that we're signing now. Right. I've actually found something. They've actually stumbled, whether they've stumbled upon it, whether they've done it intentionally, whatever it is, we now have something with which to grow this football club that doesn't always have to involve Carlo Ancelotti because he might move on at some point. Well, oh, yeah, he... he Nothing is forever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Nothing but, is forever in sport. But you think when we, we come to that point, we'll be looking at it and thinking, "Man, this is the guy that changed it all." Here, we're, we're talking. Yeah. We're talking. Liverpool would say, talk about Bill Shankly and what he did and all the socialist skills and all that sort of thing that changed the face of LFC in, in the in the sixties and seventies. I think we're now talking about somebody who can do that for Everton. Obviously, not on that scale and. You know, I'm sure there'll be Liverpool fans who would laugh their heads off if we compared Carlo Ancelotti to Bill Shankly, uh, which they certainly shouldn't, by the way, in terms of managerial acumen, because uh, Carlo Ancelotti can't hold a candle to, to Bill Shankly in terms of what he's won, uh, just on, on trophies and honours alone. But we're looking at somebody who, who's on the changing the face of what this football club means and what it has to do 
in order to reconnect, I think, with modern day football and not have us barking on about, oh, you know, nothing but the best is good enough and things like that. He's yeah. overseeing a transition of philosophy. Not only is he trying to do it himself whilst he, it's his tenure to do so, but also setting that groundwork for future generations, I believe, Rob. Well, and, you know, I think that that kind of brings us to a point in the conversation that I wanted to get to about today, about now, um, just because everything you're talking about, I think, is so important for understanding the potential impact yeah. and the club changing impact that, that, that a transcendental figure can have, because maybe one player can't change things uh, dramatically, even though I think, you know, we're seeing at least some of that. But, you know, Hamas Rodriguez wouldn't have the platform to do it without the other additions we've made as well. But 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 Carlo Ancelotti, though, is a transformative figure. Can and I just drop, can I just so, make a point on that? Just before you yeah, on? Sure, sure. Well, oh, I'm right on my high horse here. But uh, what <laughs> yeah. I mean is, you know, you, you I love golf. You, 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 yeah, yeah, I so. know. <laughs> That's why we're late today. Um, now, if a golfer, let's say, for instance, you've heard of the golfer David Duval, yeah? Yes. Who was on top of the world, late 90s, finally won a major at the Open Championship at Royal Lytham, then fell completely off the face of the earth. Now, when he goes back to playing golf, and he has done, and obviously he's, he's obviously never hit the heights that he previously did, what do you think he's trying to do when he goes out and, and plays? He's trying to say what he's trying to do, his effort is, I want my swing to be exactly like it was when I was world number one and I just won a major championship. That's what Everton Football Club should be like in the future, Rob, is that, well, when when were Everton most successful in recent history? When Carlo Ancelotti was the manager? Okay, let's do all that stuff that Carlo Ancelotti did. And that is what I mean by, and, and I hope that metaphor makes sense, uh, that is what I mean by him having a long-lasting impact rather than just the here and now. But I know you want to talk about the here and now now, so I'll shut up. <laughs> no, no, no. I think look, this is this is the forum. Uh the long con yeah. is the forum for these types of uh, you know, broader big discussions. But I but I do I think though that that part of the value out of Carlo Ancelotti is that because of his age and because he will not be here forever, that we can folk you know, we can really look at we can live in the present. And and I mean that in the best possible way because Well time is of the essence. We get so yeah. yeah, time's of the essence. I think that we get real wrapped up in in our concepts of the project the constant project and therefore Easy, we, you know. we think and, and look i i'm i am two games in i am riding the high of having been right about what we needed to do in the transfer window i said you know i i am all for us building using young players when possible but that our midfield needed experienced adults in that in that central midfield like we did like we a crutch <laughs> yes, I mean we needed we needed uh, we needed people who could come in today and make an impact. And look what we've already seen in two games. And so imagine what they'll look like when they've played together a little bit more and have, have had more than ten minutes to have a conversation. So to that point, one of the questions that we got was uh, on Twitter was from Sean. I think it's Sean Gilbody, and he asked, "What represents success or progress this season? Should the last two games change our perception of what success is?" So that second question. I think yes is we've already answered yes it it very much changes I think our perception um there's a long way to go I think we're all aware of that but 
I think we've already seen, at least in terms of, and I, I keep coming back to this uh, word, but the idea, the idea, the plan, I think was sound. And through two games, we have seen what the idea working looks like. And so therefore, I think success for a lot of people um, going into the season, I think was, uh, you know, finishing seventh. And uh, in my predictions, I said I, I was just being wildly optimistic and saying sixth. Uh, but I'll, I'll tell you that with some of the teams around, you know, I, I'm not totally convinced yet by Chelsea. I'm not, to, you know, though they're going to get better with time with all their young, talented players. They've spent gobs of money, uh, though they need to get their, obviously, their goalkeeping and their defense sorted out. Um, I think, I mean, God, Arteta's already won a cup at Arsenal. That's good, but I'm all, it's, it's still Arsenal. Uh, you're never going to convince me that Spurs are more than a game or a, or a half away from crisis at the club while someone like Jose Mourinho is there. So I guess my point and, you know, Leicester seemed to have fallen back a little bit, you know, that I think it really hurt them the way they kind of, you know, frankly choked away. Um, you know, they choked away the, uh, the the Champions League spot that they had. So my, my point is, is not that I'm saying, God, look how wide open this league is. Um, I think the, the top two are still very clearly the top two. But what I am saying is that that three to six to seven range in the table, you know, these are not perfect flawless sides that that would it would take a miracle to overcome the reason that those squads the reason that those those clubs finish where they finish every season is because ultimately in a sport as physical as as this league is um it is a war of attrition and so therefore um they they can withstand from a depth standpoint injuries etc so yes everton are going to have to get fortunate with with having you know not only players perform but players stay fit you know again that that's a given for for most sides and 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 i understand that but um i i do think to to sean's question if this group stays relatively fit to me, I, I, and I was saying this going into Silva's second season, uh, we, we got to be pushing for top six. The whole point of hiring Carlo Ancelotti was not to finish seventh and feel really good about being the best of the rest. It was to finish at a minimum in, in, in a European place and at a minimum, at least by, you know, in, in pretty quickly on if the right investment was made strategically to get into that top six so that you could then push on into the top four. Now, could it be more than that? Well, let's let's have this conversation as we will again in a month and see where we're at. Um, but I don't see any reason why it couldn't. And so in that regard, I think success for this season will depend a lot on the fitness of, of Hamas Rodriguez. I think it will also depend on how we address in these final few weeks um, our squad issues in regards to the transfer window. And Dave, this is what I wanted to come to you on next. Actually, it was a question was um, right now. I mean, I like our starting 11 overall, but you can't, you can't really feel good about having only two fit center halves. Um, Yerry Mina and uh, Michael Keane are likely going to have to play midweek, which I, I don't love that. Um, and, and so 
you know, we've decided that, that, that Gibson is going to Reading, fine, but we've got two fit center halves. Um, I love Branthwaite, but he's out for a month. Love Holgate, but he could be out for up to, they, they say up to two or three months. It's pretty significant what happened with Holgate. So uh, these are serious issues. Uh, we've got to get a center half in. Um, if it was up to me and I was living in a fantasy world where I could just solve two, you know, another problem, I would also say that in the short term, it's alone at center half just to make up the numbers. But in uh, the medium to longer term, I still believe, and by the way, Seamus Coleman has played very well in these first two games, but I think anytime you are banking on someone who has that kind of injury record, who has, a, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of, of wear and tear on those tires uh, as he approaches age 32, this is not a question of his character or any of those sorts of things, but you rely on a fullback who has to be defensively responsible for the opposing sides, generally fastest and most athletic players. You, you rely on them to stay fit for, you know, 35 to 40 games in a season at your own peril. I think that the question becomes how much do they actually believe in John Joe Kenny versus how much do they, you know, do they have their eyes? Dominic King reported. It was about a month ago now, God, Dave, where he said uh, he was certain that we'd had pretty advanced discussions about uh, Santiago Arias at uh, Atletico Madrid. So they've clearly been looking. Uh, So my question to you, Dave, is what is the minimum that needs to come out of the next few weeks? I I would say center half, but you may think that it's uh, center half and right back. You may say that we still need a right wing player because the other one of the other questions we got, and this relates to, to your response on the transfer side of this is, is James Rodriguez um, ultimately going to be put where Gomez is now with the idea of maybe replacing, you know, putting a, another right wing player in his place? Uh, what are your thoughts, Dave, on where we are with the transfer window expiring here in the next few weeks? Yeah, I've, I've got I've got two uh, main paths that I want to go down here, Rob. So first one, I think, is realistic. The second one, I think, is very extreme, uh, but. I'll, I'll explain why. So the first one is, yeah, I think John Joe Kenny will be sold um, if the write-off comes in. I'm pretty sure Schalke would like to buy him, whether that bid's acceptable uh, by Marcel Brands remains to be seen. But let's say, for instance, we were to get something in the reason of 10, minimum 15 max. I think that entitles you to go out and get a right-back uh, who you bring in on a permanent basis I think Arias will still get. I'm almost certain Rob he had COVID, and that might well have. He did. Yeah, he did have COVID. Yeah, so that might well have slowed down the progress of that. Yeah. Uh, I, I'd be astounded if we don't end with a new right back. Uh, you just look at the clues. They let Sadibi go so readily. Um, yeah. You, you look at. Uh, I, I think Ancelotti's always. It's always been his desire to have two right backs. Uh, one being James Coleman. I don't think he fully trusts John Joe Kenny in that position. Mm. Uh, despite that, I think. I mean, he's he, saying all the right things about him, but I. Yeah, I, I, I just don't. I just don't get that full. Yeah. I, I, you know, if you were to say to me, if Carlo Ancelotti didn't have Seamus Coleman, would he feel really comfortable about putting John Joe Kenny in there? I don't believe so. Uh, so I think he might well be, um, you know, putting up a bit of a smokescreen with that one. Certainly with the pursuit of, of Arias as well, it's been so heavily reported. Uh, I, I think that's a, a real thing that might well happen. Uh, Centre half for me. Is a really interesting one because yeah, it's a I tricky mean, one. There's there's a knock on effect here, Rob, because if we were to sell Kenny, 
that frees up cash to go and get somebody permanently or indeed spend a lot more money on it in terms of a loan. A lot of people are still talking about for Kyle Tamori. That might change given what's happened with Chelsea. Ooh, yeah, um, especially today. Christensen's, you know, Matt Matt pointed out on Twitter, Christensen's now out of game after after that red card today. Yeah. And then also, he's really just, is, is, you know, I don't think they're happy with, I think right now Chelsea look at all their center halves and it's just a bunch of meh. And I think yeah. that they cannot wait to get Thiago into that side. Uh, as quickly as possible. Yeah, I think even I mean it has been really surprising to me. The level of business they've done in attacking areas has been quite astounding, really, and levels we've not seen before in terms of how much they've spent and and the quality of player they've uh, they've recruited. But they still need the centre half if Thiago's fit. And if you if you, I, I still believe you, they're still weak at that position. I think Liverpool exploited yeah. that today. If you watch it, but also um, you've still got like I think Meh is the right word. Yeah, um, because you have Zuma who hasn't kicked on. You got Rudiger. I think there was a lot of pandering to his move. He was seen as this sort of then forcer to come over from Germany. Um, that that doesn't hasn't materialised for me. Christensen again. Then you then you're into talking about Aspilicueta stepping in at centre half. Maybe Marcus Alonso. Obviously they have Ben Chilwell to come back, but they've got issues. So that's a more one of things up in the air. Um, yeah. I would take that though, Rob. I think if he was to come in, a lot of people made the point that why would you do that when you've got players of equal age in Brantwaite and Gibson to come in. Well, the point I would make to that is, well, he's had a full thrashed-out season in the Championship, at which point Derby very nearly comes to the Premier League, and he played for Chelsea last season in a side that ended up qualifying for the Champions League. So he's a little bit ahead in terms of the experience scale, and also he's lightning quick. And I think that would be the profile that I'd be looking at at centre-half. Now, to get onto the sort of wild-card side of things, it all depends what we want to do, and this fits into my second trailer of thought here, Rob. Uh-huh. And I said this. I'm wondering. I'm wondering if a certain name is going to come up in this discussion. <laughs> but I've been waiting on this. Well, maybe maybe not so much a name uh, because uh, I presume you're talking about Wilfred Zaha. Uh, <gasps> no, but, really. But breaking news. My yeah, my my <laughs> idea here is regardless whether it's him or not, but it's it's along those lines. So. We get to say the Merseyside derby, which is in three or four games' time. So say we say we're in a position where we've, I don't know, five games in, we've got say thirteen or fifteen points, which is perfectly reasonable um, because we have Crystal Palace and Brighton next, uh, and that's those be- are going to be two tough ones. Oh, absolutely! I, I mean, Brighton were great yeah. today; they hammered Newcastle, yeah. and uh, Palace are flying as well, one two from two and. Slaughter Man United as well, which is a bit worrying for them. Speaking speaking of right backs, that Lamptey kid looks oh, amazing. Yeah. He looks incredible. Yeah, technically yeah. gifted pace. Yeah. He seems to have a lot. And uh, funnily enough, a Chelsea reject as well, Rob, which is. Uh, I, that's shocking to me that they, yeah. they let him get sold. But yeah. Incredible I mean, when, when they've got an If age. he's two inches taller. Uh, yeah. I, I think that height is is really an overrated quality for a fullback. Oh, yeah. But whatever. Anyway, go go ahead. Correct. I, I, yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right there. But so if we were to reach the point where the transfer window ends, which I think it's just after the Liverpool game. And we're in a position where, let's face it, we'd be pretty disappointed if we weren't still knocking around the fourth, you know, the top four at that point right now. I, I don't, I would be really disappointed if we don't take at least four points from our next two games, essentially is what I'm saying. And then the derby's a bit of a wild card because it always is. Um, one that we should be getting a little bit close to Liverpool at least. Um, so we arrive at the transfer window and we're vying for fourth as it stands at that moment in time, half a dozen games into a season. Everton are a club 
notoriously that missed the boat when it comes to opportunities to really kick on when they are given them. And by that, I mean mm. uh, just briefly, just just briefly, when we finished fourth in two thousand five, I think we signed Joseph Yobo on a permanent deal, and that was it. Uh, when you are crying out that. To, to say, look, we've reached the level now where if we go and break the bank a little bit, we can he- end up as serial top four contenders every single season. We missed that boat. We did the same again after Martinez's first season. We got Mo Besic in. I think that was the only transfer of that summer, and we missed out then. That, to me, I think would be our most recent golden opportunity to push the boat out a little bit. You've mentioned clubs uh, previously, Rob, in, in this show, uh, who look to be in transition, either that or there's some issues going on there. And it very much reminds me of that year that Leicester won the title um, mm-hmm. because that year they capitalised oh, yeah. on a low... perfect confluence of events yeah. with all those clubs and Leicester you, you jumped right on it. Liverpool, yeah. uh, Brendan Rodgers got sacked. You look at Chelsea, mm-hmm. they were awful defending the title. All that stuff, um, I don't think we... It'll go to that far because I think there's some sides who are up and coming, i.e. Arsenal. I think Arsenal are going to get better. City are going to fall away, but obviously I don't think we're in that world uh, in terms of Liverpool and City. But you look at the other contenders in the top four, like you said, I think Tottenham could be a little bit of a time bomb with Mourinho. I look at that and I think towards the end of this window, I'm thinking, okay, FFP has been relaxed for this yep. season. Yeah, We haven't spent... You know, ridiculously, Hammers we've learned recently was on a free. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, that's interesting, by the way. When you started, so Decor, what, what did Decore cost? We think around, around a little over twenty. Yeah. So that's so if we were to say, let's say forty ballpark, forty-ish. Yeah, that yeah. we spent on three players. That, Amazing. That, that's not Everton being extravagant to the point we've seen no. in the past. Well, I'm maybe just, with wages. But yeah, not yeah, yeah. Really I mean, that there, there are those caveats. We will have played paid big wages and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But if we're sitting there at a point where, okay, if money's no object and Farhad Mashiri's being quoted as saying that that will never be the case when he's, whilst he's the Everton owner, uh, we can go down the rabbit hole of Usmanov and all that stuff. Whether that's real or not, we don't know. But the point I'm trying to make is, and, and I will arrive to right now, if Everton in that position, put your foot down, put your foot on the accelerator mm. and go big. Think. Even in this window? Even in this window, go for it. Absolutely mm. go for it because you've got a load of clubs who will sell players. You look at what Liverpool have done there with Diogo Jota from Wolves. He's ultimately going to cost yeah. £45 million. And people are like, wow, <laughs> can't believe it costs that much. It's not. They're paying like £10 million a year for four years. Yeah. Those, those numbers are, always are made, they're made, they're yeah. designed to make headlines, but the reality of those numbers is not quite as... And yeah. A lot of people won't like me giving credit here, but Michael Edwards, who deals with their transfers, has played an absolute blind there because... In regards to FFP, that doesn't show on their accounts for certain amounts of time. They're able to offset that against any players that they sell, i.e. the young defender who's gone there. So yeah. effectively... They're selling Brewster, I think, too. Brewster's right? going to be going. I think you'll see a few in Origi and things. We don't have that luxury. I don't think we have that, uh, the, the dreaded word, sellable assets. Uh, I don't think we have that. But if, if Everton want to make waves this season and we have a manager who's saying time is of the essence, we've got players coming in who are at their peak uh, and in two or three years will be at the twilight of their career. By the way, their contracts have been outstanding. The club have done that really well. Oh, yeah. I made that point on Twitter a few weeks ago. Um, If you're at that point and you think, do you know what? There's a real opportunity here. We can break this mould emphatically. I'm not just talking about, you know, let's let's sign a couple of loan players here or there. If you want Zaha, as we believe Mashiri does, he was a bit of a pet project in terms of his pursuit. 
Go yeah, I want to talk about Zaha next, yeah. by the way. Go, go and get him. By the way, outstanding against Man United the other night. Um, He's been outstanding in both games so far. He looks more motivated in these two games than he looked at yeah. the whole of last season, especially after the transfer fell fell apart with and, uh, at the end and, or last season. Yeah, and let's let's not forget here, Rob, that you would get him at half that price right now. If you give Crystal Palace forty million, you bite your hand off right now, given the uh, the, the, the sort of COVID context of all of these things. Mm, I just think yeah. there's a, the, the will. Machiri's a fan of uh, always talking about opening windows and opening doors, and how quickly they're about to close. If Everton are in a position where they've got off to a fly this season and it's only half, you know, half a dozen games in, go for the jugular. Why, why not go for the jugular? Because if you're, I don't know, the way they, they project their accounts over the next three years and things like that, what's stopping them from being able to go and do deals like Liverpool have just done for Diogo Jota? And on that basis where, okay, yes, we are making a huge investment, but we're not doing it immediately. We're not making the points like we did under Steve Walsh and all of the faux pas we've had with that in terms of throwing large chunks of cash and getting players in on five, six-year deals. Carry on what you've done in terms of Alan, Decore, players at their peak in that 20 to £30 million pound bracket where you're able to negotiate a deal because teams will take it and clubs will take it given the financial situations they'll be in because of COVID. I think we're really fortunate because we have a benefactor in Machiri and whatever else the cash comes in. Uh, not in regards to FFP, but in terms of being able to spend money if we absolutely want to. And I think if we're in a position, Rob, where we're looking at that season, just as you have done all show long, let's say in United, yeah, it looks a little bit dodgy. Chelsea's going to take some time. You really want to make a splash? Go, go and get who Carlo Ancelotti wants. And not just not, not, let's not just sit here and say, we've got these three midfielders, but if one of them's injured or whatever, then it, it you know maybe plateaus a little bit. Maybe we're not getting the same output from the cover. Go and spend and do it big and, and and actually try and blow this thing out of the water. That is the sort of the other side of my brain that's like we we've always missed opportunities like that, Rob. And I, uh, we I love this. We're gonna live forever talk, right? Yeah, now. exactly. I'm yeah. here for it. And <laughs> well, well, so lo- why yeah, not now? If not, you know, if never. If not now, yeah, then. exactly. Yeah. Yeah, we're never going to have Carlo Ancelotti. Well, and so it's interesting you brought up the contracts because it did. It does feel, especially in the case of James Rodriguez and Alan, uh, Alan specifically, uh, I'm still not totally sure if it's Alan or Alan. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, like Alan Brazil. Um, but I'm... I think it's I'm, uncomfortable for you Americans to say Alan. Alan. It just feels, it feels pretentious, yeah. even though that may be the right pronunciation. But no, right. so here's the thing is that they, that you, their contract length is aligned perfectly with what you would reasonably expect Carl, you know, Carlo to stick around for. You know what I mean? Like, uh, James Rodriguez, we've got a club option, which I think is just amazing, by the way. Uh, and I think, you know, I think you, you squeeze out every minute you can get from James Rodriguez while you can. But, um, what I do like is that, you know, we've aligned these contracts well so that we're not paying them big money when they are, you know, I hate to say falling apart, but physically they're 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 definitely on the downside of that peak. Limits the risk. Um and yeah, it limits the risk. So to your point, the clear indication in many ways, if you and here's the other factor we're not talking about too, is you've got these midfielders at their 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 peak in their peak years or right at the tail end of them, whatever. But a good two to three year window when they're really still at their very best, right? You've bought those peak years out of them. 
The other thing to keep in mind is the thing that will become a bigger topic of conversation as the next, I'd say, six months or so pass by. And that is, what is the future of Richarlison? Because Richarlison... Going into this season, it was very clear to most of us that this would probably be the last season we had with him because he'd be ready to move on. Now, I will say this. You suddenly get Everton into Europe uh, or pushing for a Champions League spot and you've got James Rodriguez flying here. Suddenly, that calculation may change and suddenly there's a new contract announced or something like that where you buy another year off of him. But the bottom line is, is that Regard, you know, the 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 way that you kind of answer that, the way that that question gets answered, I think, says a lot about just what the ambition is for the now versus the, you know, I'm, I'm you know, I'm fine with the, you know, the whole concept of we got a plan for five years down the road, and I think we're, I think you buy Branthwaite and you buy Keane and you buy players like that to try to do that, and that's fine, but I think that. There's a clear push to get into the conversation of being a team that's worth having a conversation about. And that's what Mashuri wants. He wants to be relevant and he's trying to buy it. And so therefore, to your exact point, I have gone from a few weeks ago thinking that spending money on Zaha would be ridiculous and it wouldn't really amount to much because how far away are we really to now suddenly over these next these last few weeks thinking you know what maybe one given the landscape of the league we're not as far away as we maybe thought we were and two um when you talk about a motivated inform fit wilfred zaha that i saw against man united and that i've seen in these last couple of weeks if he's motivated because he's trying to get his move, if he's motivated because he wants to go to a winning side after all of these years, I don't really care what his motivation is. But then you're telling me that there is some potential for Carlo Ancelotti to deploy an attack that has a, you know, a, an informed Calvert-Lewin, a Richarlison on one side, a Zaha on the other, with Hamas Rodriguez pulling the strings. Then that is a paradigm-shifting that is a paradigm shifting event. That is where you go from, hey, be nice to finish seventh, maybe sixth, to saying there's no reason why this group could not finish in you know the top four to six in this season or next or what have you. Um, again, I still think that for all that great attacking intent and that ambition, and I love it, uh, that you compromise all that if you don't, if, if Seamus Coleman gets hurt and then you have no right back situation or Yeri Mina or Michael Keane get hurt. Like, obviously we need to address the, the those holes as well, but I think there are ways to do it in a very cost-effective way. Wilfred Zaha would represent, or, or even if it's, you know, there was David Ornstein talked about as being linked with that player from, was is it from uh, Dave, uh, uh, Ocampos or whatever yeah. from uh, Leipzig? Is he, yeah, from, yeah, or yeah, I can't remember. I thought he played in Spain. But anyway, my point is, is that if you, if you can get a difference making uh, right sided attacking player, then suddenly the flexibility with which you can now deploy Hamas Rodriguez suddenly makes this thing go from being a now pretty good-looking attack to being something that is truly dangerous. And man, it's been a long time since we've been able to say Everton were dangerous. Yeah, and does it, doesn't it send the shiver down your spine thinking of that as well? Because 
And, 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 and the, yes, okay. Look. Well, uh, Dave, let me say this yeah. to your point before. Not only does it send a shiver down my spine to consider that, and yes, we are so, we're so drunk on, on Everton uh, uh, potential right now. I, I, I fully acknowledge that. But what it also does is I think it underscores exactly the point that you just made before about if not now, when? Go for it. If you are, if you have found a way to suddenly become good, why not? If you have the means to do so, push the button to try to be great. And I'm, I'm with you on that. Well, yeah, and and, and just to conclude with that, Rob, um, I feel as if that it's something that is not unrealistic, and 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 that's sort of just in terms of rounding up the show. That's sort of what I want to say is that. I'm not just saying that out of hyperbole and feeling really excited and great and the, everything's rosy in the garden because we, uh, we're up near the top of the league after two games. I'm talking about that in, in, in regards to the lay of the, you know, the landscape of all this at the moment. I think there's a window of opportunity there. I'm not saying it's it's one that we're going to take. I, I'd be astounded if we did. But yeah. there's there's one there that I don't think is without, it's not with, you know out of our grasp. To be going and do that, and a lot of people say the feeling about football is you can't make those meteoric jumps like Chelsea did and like Man City did, and and I don't think we're in a financial position to do that, not by any means. But I think in terms of modern day parlance, I think we're in a position to be able to go and do that within whatever the modern day version of that is right now. I think we're able to go and do that. Um, and look, it's no criticism if they don't, if they, if they feel that they can do it a different way, and it might take some more time. But I just look, and, and there's a <laughs> there's a twinkle in Carlo's eye when I look at him, and he, he talks <laughs> about here and now, and he talks about you know challenging for the league and things like that. When he says those things, I think. Mm. Does he so, know something? Exactly. That's exactly yeah. <laughs> so there's something he knows that we don't. Yeah, there's something behind his eyes. That yeah. suggests to me, and look, it goes back to hmm. what people said when he first came. Everton yeah. wouldn't have got him unless they've made those assurances. So, sure. I just wonder if the stars align for once for us. And like I said, to, to, to sort of fully round off what we said at the start, I've felt a hell of a lot different about this football club this past weekend. Uh, I'm more normal about being yeah. optimistic about them than any other time in the last few years. Yeah, because it's not based on just far-fetched no. hope. It's based on tangible evidence exactly. right in front of yeah. you that those players have demonstrated in the past at other clubs and have demonstrated so far in their short time at Everton that they're good and can perform well as opposed to us just hoping that, you know, we buy Guilty Sigurdsson for $45 million and so, and he can keep doing these free kick, you know, YouTube tricks that he of course can't do anymore yeah. uh yeah like i think that's the difference okay i want to end on one 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 thing really really fast and that is i want to circle back to calvert lewin a little bit because um one of the things that i think has been interesting is we talk about the potential of this attack we now have a strikers at four goals <laughs> through two league matches uh and and you know he made the point yesterday in his interview which i think it's probably a little bit of a chip on his shoulder a little defensiveness but i kind of get it and i think that's what drives him is that he was they kind of referred to him having some poachers goals which he is absolutely a poacher by the way and and what he is saying is is yeah and that and i i practice that i practice being in those positions i you know he talks about it like it is a skill that he has worked at and fair play to him for that i think the thing that has surprised me most is that one of the narratives that's been pretty pervasive dave is that if we moved out of a 4-4-2 the calvert lewin would struggle being a lone striker but it's amazing what happens when you surround him by 
And by the way, there's two parts to that. One, I'm surprised at his goal scoring effectiveness, given how poor he was uh, during the restart. Yeah. But also the fact that Matt made the point before, and he wasn't wrong because of how good Richarlison was playing as a as a striker. Uh, but I've always maintained that Richarlison can be good anywhere across that line because even if he's not scoring, to to kind of circle back to the very beginning of this conversation, his presence. And his danger creates uh, problems for the defense. His presence and his movement and him getting balls around and constantly being on the mind of the fullback, the center half, whoever is trying to, to account for him creates issues. And suddenly you combine all this skill that seems to play well together in one place. And then Calvert-Lewin is suddenly able to be the best version of himself. But I, I just wanted to, to throw a shout out there for Calvert-Lewin because I've, of course, I've been critical because he wasn't scoring goals and now he's scoring goals. So fair play to him. I, I've been really impressed so far. And if he can continue to do that to your earlier point, then Richarlison is not having to carry the weight of the world on him. I think he's going to be happier. Uh, and I also think that then when you talk about the potential of a Zaha or someone else coming in to, to the equation, then suddenly you're talking about uh, an attack that is young and athletic and hungry, and it's really, really scary. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Completely agree with that, Robert. And, and on Calvert-Lewin, just finally for me, uh, he's 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 matured into what I think everybody hoped he would be, um, despite the fact he's had to come through tremendous adversity. Funny the way things work out with people, isn't it? That I don't think he'd be the player he is now and have that sort of pedigree to learn his trades. He seems incredibly humble, young man. Uh, the, that's not always the way with young players. They think they know it all already. They think they perhaps only have to develop skills they've already got. He's gone and learned those things. Uh, and he's, he's done so in an environment that has been horrendous at times for young players to try and thrive in in the, in the last four or five years. So he deserves immense credit. And the world's his oyster. I mean, he can go on. And, you know, when he's got a supply chain like he, he's going to have this season, people are talking, you know, 15 goals is a decent season for him. I'm, I'm fully confident he could break through 20, the 20 barrier comfortably. With this group around him? Absolutely. Why not? Why not? Yeah. Well, God, wow, this has obviously been just a, a fantastic conversation. Hey, 90 minutes for us is a relatively short I was going to say, yeah. You know, yeah. And I think it's not too bad, guys. I think, I think um, we, we, we've just about reached to be able to justify being called long. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And hey, uh, if if we're uh, if we're, I, I think we're gonna have uh, even even more great conversations. We're gonna try and like we talked about before, we're gonna do this every month, uh, just because I think this is a good forum for the sort of a state of the club kind of discussion. Do you know what I love um, about I it, that, Rob? I, I love that we're able to compare and contrast how we are in each show. Because if you think back to what a month six weeks ago. We were at panic stations and talking about oh. how are we going to get Jordan Pickford to keep clean sheets. And yeah. now we're talking about yeah. we don't care if he keeps a clean sheet because we'll go score no. five. No. <laughs> hey, you allow two goals, it's not the end of the world if you can score five. I mean, we're just, we're the free scoring blues, yeah. man. That's uh, that's how it is. Yeah. Well, Dave has been fantastic. Uh, just as a reminder, guys, uh, you know, as you can probably tell, uh, we are just, we are turning turning up uh, and taking another step up uh, as, a, as, a, as a podcasting group as well, just with new shows, new content, especially on Blue Room Extra. Um, Dave, really quickly, do you want to 
to plug the new, uh, I get, okay. So I, I'm lost track of all your morning shows at this yeah. point. So, uh, but yeah, tell me about your new, you've got a new show coming. And I know Matt's got, like, I feel like we're doing like an, an extra show every day as yeah. well. So I mean, there's just so much, but, but take it away. Well, so we, we, so to come up with the idea that I mean, we've got a hell of a lot of new subscribers, obviously continue with the feel good factor of the club. Uh, we want to give South America too. Exactly. <laughs> we want to continue that positive vibe. Uh, so we've we've come up with a new set of ideas, really, that we've decided to stagger into and probably launch them. Uh, normally, summer we'll put out a sort of schedule of all of our shows, and our objective this year is to try and get something out every single day. And uh, we're going to do that because Matt is going to do Blue Room Breakfast most days of the week, if not all days of the week. I think live on YouTube that'll be available as a podcast as well. Um, that's absolutely free. In terms of the Blue Room Extra uh, offerings, and, and now we offer yearly subscriptions as well. If you want to take that out, you save a bit of money too. Uh, I'm going to be hosting starting tomorrow, which is Monday the 21st of September, with uh, Ben Crawford. Me and him are going to react to the weekend's football. So not only Everton, we'll be discussing all the rest of the action in the Premier League and abroad as well, and anything that really tickles our fancy from the footballing world. Uh, that'll be out on Monday, every single Monday, every single Monday evening. And then uh, Thursday, on Thursdays, uh, there's going to be a concept. No doubt I'll get Rob involved in this at some point as well. But I will be interviewing the entire Blue Room cast. And uh, there was a show, I'm not sure you had a version of this show in the States, Rob, called Room 101. Mm-hmm, um, no. Room 101 to you, so the, the 101 in, in American parlance means... The, the entire lowdown of something, doesn't it? That means like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like you know, football 101. Yeah. Like, the uh, explaining the basics of football. Yeah, the encyclopedia type of thing. So, But the show that over that was over here, uh, which Frank Skinner, uh, a comedian over here, Rob used to uh, used to host, and I think he still does, I think he's still going down. Um, essentially, that show, you would pick three items that you absolutely hate or three ideas. It could be anything, really, that you absolutely hate in the world. And you have a debate and discussion with the host about what you would like to put into Room 101 and never, ever see again. And they ultimately, <laughs> the host ultimately decides whether it goes in or whether it doesn't. So I'm going to assume the role of the host in that and I'm going to be asking whoever is on with me, one guest every single week, what they hate most about Everton. Uh, what they hate... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, so we're expecting some fun and games there. Uh, what they hate most about football in general and the wild cards, so just like the original show... You can pick anything from any walk of life that you would li- like never to see the light of day again. So uh, we're wow. really looking forward yeah. to that. It's, it's a bit more off the cuff. It's a little bit of fun. Uh, and I'm sure there's some pretty serious answers as well and probably some sinister ones as well, uh, knowing the people that we associate with, Rob. So, yeah, really looking forward to that. So two brand new shows on the Blue Dimetra starting tomorrow. And uh, make sure you wake up with Matt. I'm sure he'd love, you, love to have you alongside him every single morning uh, to discuss all things Everton. So, yeah, plenty of exciting things coming up. Well, I, Dave, I think you summed it up really well. Like, I, I think the bottom line, guys, is the Blue Room is becoming the kings of content yeah. in the Everton world and possibly in the football world. It's uh, I, Guys, I'm, it's so exciting to be part of uh, of a podcast group like this with talented and dedicated people, but doubly so when we actually have some things to be positive and optimistic about. Long may it continue. Uh, also, I'll plug my own show, uh, The Kickabout, that comes out usually on Thursdays or Fridays. Um, you know, But yeah, it's, uh, it is just an absolute uh, joy to do this when things are going well. Uh, really enjoyed the conversation, Dave. Look forward to doing it again next month. Uh, we will see you guys again next month. And I'll, of course, Dave and I will see you again on your, on, <laughs> in 
in your some sort of podcast your feed, yeah. Uh, yeah, you will be hearing our voice more than you. Can. <laughs> Custom Inc. is an awesome way to recognize employees, thank customers, and outfit your teams with their favorite products and brands customized with your logo. CustomInc.com lets you make your mark on water bottles, backpacks, polos, jackets, and a ton more. Custom Inc. is your go to custom gear partner with great customer service, quality products, and all in pricing, along with personalized help when you need it and an easy to use website when you don't. Oh, yeah, and everything is 100% satisfaction guaranteed. Check out what we can do for your business at CustomInc.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.